Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. What was the other thing in JFK's speech? I never understood what that was. We should throw it to the listeners. I to really want to know that. We're going to go to the moon and then we're going to do something. I don't know, but we're going to do a thing. I really don't know what it is. Is there an answer to that? It'll be big. <laughs> It'll be big. And on par with going to the moon. It's going to be great. It's going to be the greatest thing we've ever done. Uh, welcome back, guys. Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always uh, by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. And we have our resident super guest, Dr. Suzanne Chad, with us. Hi, guys. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Uh, before we get started, uh, all the good stuff that you guys wait for every time. If you like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, follow us on Twitter, uh, at Barstool Paul, Facebook, uh, at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped that you can download on iOS and Android. We're just Barstool Politics on there. The podcast you can find on SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, um, definitely iTunes, which is where most of you guys are. So share us, review us, like us whatever else you can do on there that's positive. Actually, I don't even care if it's positive, just as long as you're doing something on there. Um, do that. Uh, and also, if you've been around over the past few weeks, uh, we partnered with uh, the awesome people over at Predict It, which is a real money uh, political prediction market, so pretty much a stock market for uh, political events, uh, where you can buy and sell shares for things that are going on. Um, yeah, what's really great is our listeners get a, a special offer. So if you open an account with Predicted, uh, up to $20, Predicted will match your deposit, again, up to $20. So a total of $40, $20 in free money. Uh, all you have to do is use the uh, promo code or promo link, uh, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul2020, uh, and you'll get your free money. You just have to deposit money to get free money. It's so cool. And it has been so much fun to watch the predicted yeah. markets. Over the past Move. few weeks, has Supreme been, Court has yeah. been interesting. Uh, Phil and I were texting last night. You talked me down. I was about to buy a whole bunch of uh, shares in. They're gonna gonna confirm uh, Kavanaugh by the end of September because I thought mm-hmm. the Republicans are gonna push through. And Phil, you walked me back, and it was it was smart. Hey, we still got time. I, 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 I just <laughs> pulled it up, and it's, it, Kavanaugh now is. Uh, it's fifty-two forty-eight. No, that he's not going to be the next one. That's I. I don't think that's been. He's been. Hmm. Uh, predicted markets have had him favored to. You know, yeah. he was likely to be the next Supreme Court justice, and now it's gone the other way. Well, maybe it's because both of their uh, opening statements have been leaked, and people are reading them. I really. Mm. Yes. Ooh, oh, I hadn't so seen that. I will. I will preface it by saying I read Kavanaugh's, but Doctor Ford's came out within the last maybe half hour so i saw the headline but have not read it wow but interesting. what have you been doing suzanne i mean I, you know life it, how could i not just be glued to my computer all the time reading about sexual assault like what who doesn't want to do that all day i'm about done <laughs> 
Um, all right, should we dive into the to the topic, Nick? Yeah, this is I, it's the, an obvious one, right? So, all right, so the disaster that's become the Supreme Court nomination process. We should begin by noting that we are taping on Wednesday, on the eve of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings. On Thursday, it will feature the testimony of Christine, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, a professor in California, and Supreme Court, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. In a Fox News interview on Monday night, Kavanaugh vigorously denied the allegations from Ford and new allegations from Deborah Ramirez. Kavanaugh said he would not, quote, let false accusations drive us out of this process. Uh, This nomination has taken on a life of its own and become a symbol for many of our country's most divisive political battles. It's not just a battle for the Supreme Court, but also has become a central issue for the midterm elections, as well as the broader conversation about sexual assault and the Me Too movement. Luckily, we are joined by Dr. Suzanne Chad to help us think about all the political and social implications. Suzanne, this isn't the first time we've had a woman testifying about sexual impropriety in front of a Senate hearing on a Supreme Court nominee. What will you be watching for this time around? Well, I I just want to say that the guys are smart to bring a woman on, just like the Republican senators are smart to bring a woman in to to, uh, to do the the question. We went out and got a female assistant. (laughs) I mean, there were binders full of us that you could have chosen from. And yes, I'm happy to be your research, your researcher. Good, good burn. Good burn. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm always happy to be back. But I, I, uh, I just. I think it's just become a joke now that yeah. when there's a lady issue, the lady comes on. Uh, the three yeah. white men aren't so good at that. <laughs> the white lady only can do so much. But anyway, um, what are we looking for? Well, I mean, uh, the obvious comparison which you just made is looking at how things went in 1991 with the uh, Clarence Thomas uh, hearing with Nita Hill. And, and, and obviously we're in a different era and one would hope that there's more awareness. If you look at, if you go back and watch the hearing and the types of questions that were directed at, uh, at uh, Professor Hill and all of the white men with all of the gendered questions and the way that she, she handled herself, you know, it speaks well of her, but we're looking at, uh, we should expect to see softer questions, not as much victim blaming, not only because a woman who's also a sex crimes prosecutor is the one who's going to be asking the questions, but just for optics, it obviously doesn't look good in this era for a, the party of white men to victim blame this woman uh, in front of the world, quite frankly. So I I expect to see that the questions will be less pointed and less offensive. Doesn't mean they won't be offensive, but I expect them to be less so. I say that's the first thing I'm looking at. Even the the president, and Trump has not done a real good job of this, but he's tried to be more careful in his language and not victim blaming. Although in the press conference, (laughs) press conference, he he quickly dribbled into that, that area. How effective is it for the Republicans to take that approach in the testimony when publicly they're making statements that are explicitly about how they don't believe her and, you know, they don't believe any of these accusations that it's all a, you know, a sham to bring him down. And I mean, it's weird. It's a weird contrast for them to feel like they have to be cautious tomorrow morning when they don't seem to feel like they have to be all that cautious. I mean, I think it's a no-win scenario at this point. Realistically, like you said, if it was a bunch of white men up there that were asking the questions, it would have been terrible. It's terrible optics, and that's the reason why they did this. It's not an ideal situation, but I firmly believe that they thought it was going to be, again, the lesser of two evils in this particular situation. There's just no good way around this. I mean, it's it's a masterful ploy right now. The, the Republicans really are an impossible position, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, they're using the right language, saying we're going to let her speak. We're going to let, you know, 
uh, Ford speak. We're not going to let the other alligator, uh, other women speak, but we're going to let her speak and hear her out. Even Trump today in his press conference said he's open to being persuaded. So if, if Dr. Blasey Ford is really, really persuasive, he may change and pull the, <laughs> pull so, the nomination. <laughs> I, I think that's the first time we've had a fart noise on the podcast. Yes. Leave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, a bunch of crap. I want to call a little bit of bullshit on that. Yeah. The Republicans are in a no-win situation. I mean, they could actually say, hey, accusations, multiple of them now have come out. Let's actually have a thrower investigation instead of, you know, this kind of thrown together hearing on Thursday morning with a vote scheduled the next day. Which right? they I mean, scheduled this, before they, the hearing they can actually scheduled. they could actually handle this as, you know, what? Maybe they aren't telling the truth. A, 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 an investigation would actually get at that. And we could actually know whether these people are, you know, whether the women who are accusing him are full of crap or whether they're legitimate. Right. I tend to think they're legitimate, but it, I, I don't understand the cost of actually doing this. And, and also well, the, the bad optics of it. Republicans could put someone other than a white male on the Judiciary Committee too, oh, and avoid these sorts of problems. They could. They won't. Is it a... So is there a timing issue here? That, so, yes. I mean, are they are they worried that if they can't get Kavanaugh through quickly that they'll move on? But even if they move on, is there enough time? I mean, I think that's a great question. Are they are they reluctant to carry out a full investigation, a thorough investigation, because it will leave them not enough time to get another nominee through? Or are they afraid of more information going on? What's the timing, it, Suzanne? I mean, the, the main thing here is that the the docket is ready to go, right? I mean, the Supreme Court's about to go back into their, their fall session. And so if they don't have anyone seated, there's going to be eight justices. And we saw what happened when there were eight justices when Scalia had died and some had to recuse themselves. We had seven justices for some of the cases. And when there's a tie, the case gets remanded back down and it's like it never happened. And there's a lot that's going to be coming in front of the court and they want that justice on there. It's also a huge lose for the Trump administration um, coming into the midterm elections. The party has try to manage this as best as they're able to speed it through to make sure they have that ninth justice seated and if they do an investigation it's going to take time and they're not going to it's not that they're not going to have enough time to find someone else as much as it's not enough time to have anyone on before the new supreme court session begins if the fear is and i think it's 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 well you should answer this is is it's unlikely that the democrats win the senate back Oh, it's almost a zero percent chance. Well, that's the thing. So if there's a, is it? Yeah. If if that's the case, why aren't they more comfortable with slowing this process down? I, again, I don't think they want any cases to be heard without that ninth justice on the bench. Yeah. And and knowing how he will vote, knowing the way that he looks at the Constitution, the way that he's voted previously, there are so many things coming to the court. They want that justice on there. And I'm sure that there's pressure from the Trump administration. I mean, Grassley and McConnell have no interest in doing this any different. I mean, neither of them are up for re-election, but um, the House is in danger of flipping. And so while the House and Senate are separate, it, they're still connected enough that when things don't go well in the Senate, it does affect what happens to the party in the other chamber. Well, and, and Nick, we were talking a little bit today over over texting back and forth. Uh, there's anger on the Republican side about this now. Oh, yeah. It, it was that I think Republicans <laughs> in general were not, not indifferent to this, but it feels as, as if the last couple days, now you've, you've got anger on the left over the Kavanaugh nomination, but now you have anger on the right for how this is playing out. Right. And if you're the Trump administration, if you're Senate Republicans, that's a real pressure. Mm -hmm. Like those groups are now mobilized and saying, let's get this done. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it also is a detriment to the Democrats in terms of the midterms. While you have Republicans relatively fired up, especially in the Republican base, now you have people getting pulled in from not necessarily the fringes, but a little bit farther out from the base than you would expect in this particular situation. It's motivating a block that 
can easily, not easily, but relatively easily swing some of these uh, potential elections that were not in contest prior to this. On top of that, like I, I know we talked about this on the last one, and I like I, you and I are going to disagree on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the first time. No, but I, I mean, there's, there's, it's not even about the individuals that are doing it. To me, and I think what a lot of Republicans who are again getting pulled into this conversation is, this doesn't seem like it's about victims anymore. This seems like a political ploy that's bad timing or that's very suspect as to motive with the timing and you talk about rights of the uh the victims and the the statements getting you know leaked by feinstein which ended up being her um her aid i guess which it, it's just someone falling on the sword for her yeah she wasn't a good aide. no yeah. but it, i just she? i well that it, that's not which is what you're saying right it's just dumb and like regardless we know what what the the motive is to this you want this information out there to cause distress in this process and i get it i absolutely understand if these accusations are real then yeah let's have them talk about it in an open setting but it, there's all these other weird components about it. And then you have these two other accusers. This third one who uh, uh, came out today is a, a client of Michael Avenatti, who's Stormy good Daniels' lawyer. Good lawyer. lawyer. Good lawyer. He's, Her statement. He seeks truth. Yes. He's he's a fucking scumbag. Oh, he's an opportunist to the core. I, it doesn't mean that she's lying. No, she's not. I, I, I'm not. It doesn't mean that she's lying. Right. The statement that she said was that she attended a party that Kavanaugh was at where he was being quote unquote aggressive verbally to women and attempting to get them inebriated. But that then led into this weird pseudo eyes wide shut gang rape thing that she specifically said she was assaulted. Brett Kavanaugh and a f- Mike, a, Mark Judge. Mark, yeah. Mark yeah. Is his first Judge was they were there you know, at the entrance to one of these rooms where this was happening, or she saw them do that, but they weren't involved. But the narrative that's now coming out in all of these news stories is third Kavanaugh accuser comes forward with allegations of sexual assault. That's not well, what that headline happened. Is, no, that headline, it is what happened. It, that, How is that what happened? He's not the one that assaulted, but assault occurred. Right. Well, but, she, she didn't say, she hasn't clarified whether he was involved or not. But what she has said is that she witnessed him involved in these gang rapes. So she was not the victim, but she saw this happen. I don't recall her saying that yeah, she saw him involved she, in it. I think she, she said did. that he was there when she was gang raped. Right. And that and that he and this judge guy were getting women drunk for that purpose. But I don't know if she's made that rooms. final right. yeah, final yeah, she, step she, yet. I, I feel like she, I, I'm almost certain that she said that she saw him. There were these essentially line lines of men yes. waiting to go in. And to, he was right. in the line. Right, right, right. But, but not in the line. Right. Exactly. So right now it's... He was at a party. He acted like an asshole. He was standing outside of a room. That's what you have. Yes, but here's the thing. So, yeah, we're totally going to disagree on this. Fair. <laughs> right. That while, the, while Julie Swetnick's account is harder to say that Kavanaugh did something, mm-hmm. it's a narrative of behavior, of personal character, of what's acceptable, of what's not acceptable. And... He said in his opening statement, he said, you know, I drank with my friends. Sometimes I drink too much. I did things I'm not proud of, but I didn't do any of the things that that she said or that they have said. Mm -hmm. But if 
what is what is being created now is sort of that he was involved in and a participant active and tacit in a culture that systematically assaulted women Mm -hmm. and he engaged in some of those activities that some have said and others have said they're not sure so yes she hasn't said he did the following thing to me Mm -hmm. but it follows this narrative of what what is it about this man and about his character and a pattern of behavior or what he thought was acceptable behavior mm. that will affect his ability as a justice? Okay. Now we, we can say that about any number of things about a person, right. but about this, and, it's it the stakes are higher. Okay. I would say. Go ahead. And Phil. he's and he specifically said that he that that he wasn't involved in this sort of culture. Right. So then it brings into question. Well, because it wasn't uh, on his calendar, uh, Phil. Issues of of <laughs> yeah, whether he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I. Um, mm. I, uh, um. Well, this 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 suggests all the more reason to go back to Phil's earlier point of of why don't you have an investigation? And I, I understand why Republicans are reluctant to do this. Right, the longer you wait, the more stories come out, the more of a, an issue this becomes. Right. But it seems to me so. I was thinking about Roy Moore today, and oh. I have to give you know Republicans some credit on that issue. Like a lot of Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, right. came out and said, "I believe the woman," and that was about a preponderance of the evidence. Right, and so this seems like it's going to be a he said, she said. Yeah. Yes. And in those moments, FBI information, you know, a, a true telling could get you a little bit closer. And maybe if you can't substantiate some of these, then then it's a political decision. But I feel like there could be a lot more information to give all of us a better sense of what might have happened. We're never going to know the truth, but it would it would move us closer. But it's been too two different administrations at this point where he's been vetted by by the FBI. But vetted and a specific targeted investigation about allegations are not the same thing. Sure. So yeah. an FBI background check and vetting is like fingerprints and do you have a criminal record? Mm. But they're not diving into, you know, these they're not looking at specific allegations. And mm-hmm. so Trump has said the same thing. And I'm not trying to compare you to Trump no. by any means. I would never do that to you. I'm going to teach you to leave. <laughs> I know, I'm going to have to ask you. <laughs> But this is what Trump has said over and over again, and actually McConnell and Grassley have done the same, which is the FBI's looked at this guy six times since you know he was a federal judge and was vetted the first time, and now, and a vetting by the FBI and a targeted investigation are two very, very different things. Mm-hmm. I think there's also an important distinction between how the Senate, the Senate Republicans have approached this, and how Trump has. Like today, mm-hmm. he was using that language, con job, con job, over, over and over and over, over again. Right. And then a reporter even asked him, "Do you feel comfortable with that language?" Nick and I were watching this. He says, "I feel comfortable, and I've used much worse language." <laughs> oh yeah, we've heard <laughs> it's it all probably the, the nicest yeah. thing I've said. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing that's so rich about all of this, and the irony of it. And I'm not the first, nor will I be the last, to say that to have some. Somebody who's defending someone who's accused of sexual harassment, assault, or or the like, <coughs> who's been accused of all of the same things and became president, right? So I just did the other day say, what does it say to people if an accused sexual assaulter can be a Supreme Court justice? It says that you can be president, mm-hmm. right? I mean, is that is that where we are, where party loyalty is the thing? And while I have said for years we shouldn't look to elected officials for character cues, but... Is, does none of that matter now? It's, That's correct. It's tribalism. Yes. I, I sent it Phil, is. Today I sent Phil a video, uh, MSNBC video of a, a Trump supporter. It was a woman telling her kids and she was being interviewed and she was talking about groping. And, and she said that, well, groping isn't even all that bad, right? And her children were not, her young daughters, not young. I mean, they were probably teenagers nodding their heads saying, oh, yeah, groping isn't all that bad. It's just boys being boys. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it was, it was stunning, Phil. I mean, this stuff is it's a really we're in a bizarre place politically. I, I, I still don't I I still can't wrap my head around why the Republicans don't just move on and maybe it's not the Republicans it's it's I guess I mean, it is the Republicans I was gonna say it's Trump but the the Senate Judiciary Committee could vote against him and move on 
I mean, I, there, there, you can find a really conservative judge that doesn't have a history of accusations like this. And I, you were talking about how this is maybe, um, you know, unifying some Republicans. And I, I think that I think it's I think that's true, but I think it's more complicated than that because his numbers are terrible, Kavanaugh's numbers, and they continue to go down. Mm -hmm. So as this information has come out, his support continues to decline, right. even amongst Republicans. And so it's like it's like lower now than Bork, I think. It's like Ooh. he's people don't it's really low in terms of people who support his his nomination. And so I think Republicans are torn in that you have you know, probably some big wigs and elites or whatever who want, you know, want them to stand by him. But I think they risk alienating a lot of their own voters even on this. Um, not not a ton, but I mean, the, the evidence is that even amongst Republicans, there's not a huge amount of support for Kavanaugh. I just don't get why they don't just drop him I, and I move agree. on. And the other thing they could do is they could pull him and then go for a more conservative justice. Right. And, right. Yeah, and there are. I mean, I, I, you know, we've talked about this before, but I I think while Kavanaugh is conservative, he's not the most conservative of that list of mm -hmm. Federalist judges. Mm -hmm. And Trump could easily go to a much more conservative justice at this point, knowing full well that McConnell will push it through as long as it's clean. He can get a Gorsuch or, you know, even further right to the Gorsuch. So I, that's what to I'm a little... The Gorsuch. The Gorsuch. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I'm glad somebody else heard that. that <laughs> Sorry. <was awesome. laughs> too much. Too much thinking. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm like you, Phil. I wonder why he hasn't hasn't just decided cut ship because you know your politics isn't beanbag, right? There's that famous saying: saying this is not easy. It's going to get ugly. I don't feel bad for Kavanaugh at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the reality. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, if you're a bigwig running for a big position of power, mm -hmm. you know what you're getting yourself into. I'm sorry that he feels sad about this. I'm sorry about the wife and children and all that. But this is the reality. You move on. You find somebody else. But it's a, then it's a loss, right? I mean, this is the thing. We talk about right. tribalism. Yeah. We're in this period where it's win or loss, it's zero sum, right? Mm -hmm. So if the Republicans sort of like mm. cut their losses, put their tails between their legs and run away, then they lost. The Democrats won. The Democrats bested them. But so they could blame the Democrats. It. That's the thing yeah, is that right. how that spun is really interesting. So the Democrats could use it to say, look, when we are united and we don't back down, we right. get what we we want, hey, voters, look what we can do if we win the chambers, right? Republicans can say, spin it the other way and say, look, they derailed this whole process. They tarnished this good man's name. We had no choice but to go with somebody else. And it rallies the Republican voters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's a crapshoot. So at this point, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Mm -hmm. And you ride this out because that's what's in front of you. Agreed. And it's another example of using the Supreme Court as a pawn yeah. in this battle. Usually we talk about between the branches, but it's a battle between the parties now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Dr. Ford is, is at the central sort of the central part of that. Mm -hmm. And and whether or not you think she asked for it or not and expected that her story would go public, mm -hmm. she's there now. And I think the way she's handled herself has been exemplary. It will be interesting to see her testimony tomorrow. Mm -hmm. None of these people, I, you know, Kavanaugh didn't do particularly well in that Fox interview, but mm -hmm. I get that, right? He's, he's not a politician. He is, that's not what he's good at. I think he's mad as hell, too. Right, exactly. He's probably not in the right frame of mind. Right, and, and she is not a politician as well. So two people who aren't used to this space are thrust into it. But if she is powerful tomorrow, if she's good tomorrow, it's... I wouldn't be surprised if Collins, maybe not Collins, but Murkowski or Flake. Flake Corker. Yeah, th they could end this very, very quickly. What does this do going forward to these nominations? It's this, I mean, it's the politicization of the Supreme Court. I mm -hmm. mean, this has been going on for decades. Yeah, but it seems like now this is at a point where I, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be 
a, a nominee that wouldn't face this kind of scrutiny or potential accusations, I, whether they're true or not. I'm not saying that these yeah. aren't, mm -hmm. but... You're saying it sets a it precedent? Sets a, not a precedent, but an escalation that, uh, again, the symptoms were already there, but this is getting to a point where the partisanship and the inability to... Um, get away, I guess, from the, the concept of, of tribalism and politics just can't be overcome anymore. Again, whether things I, are true or not going forward. Phil. I'm I'm not as cynical about it. I mean, I, I, I'm cynical in that I think the partisanship that has entered into the Supreme Court discussion is troubling. But a, a year ago, Gorsuch was nominated and there weren't accusations. He, he breezed through Democrat. I mean, didn't breeze through, but mm. pretty, pretty There was no filibuster, so he through. did. Yeah. Um, and, and there were Democrats who did Democrats in, were there any Democrats that voted for him? No, mm -mm. There, there were none. Okay. Uh, not that I remember. I sh I could fact check myself if I had a moment. But it was. Like, but I don't think so. But even their opposition was based yeah. on ideology. It wasn't based right. on some of these other stories. Sure. Yeah. Right. And I mean, so the idea that this sort of thing has happened before, right? You go back to Clarence Thomas, and it didn't it didn't set a precedent in that. I. I it's where I come back to. I, I don't believe that. I don't. I don't believe that these are opportunists who are showing up trying to do this. They don't have anything to gain from it. I think the fact of the matter is Kavanaugh has a history that that is problematic. And I think find another Gorsuch is an example of find somebody without these sorts of issues and they'll they'll go through. Right. You can have your conservative justice who has conservative views on abortion and whatever else, you know, that that. I, I don't know. I think I think that there is a politicization of the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court's always been political, right? Oh, I mean, it's since always the election been that. of 1800, right? And so I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm more optimistic that people still have, I, you know, I should say I say all this in the light of Merrick Garland, though, right? So <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, Phil, you've probably done some of these. If you, if we have a student who goes into uh, into the military, into like intelligence, you always have to do these background checks. They ask all sorts of questions about drinking. Mm -hmm. I've done some for colleagues. I've done some for students. I mean, they get into those questions. And I wonder whether in the FBI review that had to come up somewhere mm -hmm. with someone, uh, you know, for Kavanaugh. Like, did he seem like he was an excessive drinker? And if that report would have come through at some stage in the multiple different reviews, to say, let's look a bit more into this to see if this could be a problem. What? And it but never binge, did. Do you think binge drinking in this day and age would alert people to be like, maybe there's something wrong with him? Maybe not. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe <laughs> in the future going forward, maybe. it certainly should. If they're asking the but, questions, it should alert someone. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Why would you ask the question then? Well, yeah, it always I, seems to be the one question that I, they always start are with. Are they alcoholics? Yes, right. <laughs> but McConnell and others before all of this said, they had told Trump that Kavanaugh was the least confirmable of the people he was That's considering. True. So, I mean, I think that, again, in a different era with a more politically savvy president, I don't think Kavanaugh would have been the nominee. I, here, here's my question. If Kavanaugh had handled this differently, do you think it would have mattered? If Kavanaugh had, from the beginning, come out and said, yeah. yes, I was an asshole when I was a teenager. I drank too much. I did bad I things. I women. I tried but... to rape them. Yeah. yeah right. All right, so, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's, no, no, it's no. the truth. <laughs> as is, well, that's what he's being accused of. But if he had said, if he had like acknowledged this past, right, and, and said, you know, I'm a different person. I've, I've spent my life trying to, you know, make amends for these terrible things that I've done. If he had hmm. not embraced it, but sort of acknowledged that he, yeah, he did terrible things a long time ago but I'm a different person now would that have would that have made any difference or sh I don't I'm not these, these two are shaking their head I'll start with them <laughs> so I have 
how people responded to it. So it's funny. I had a, I'm teaching a gender, sex, and sexuality class right now. And so this has been a big topic of conversation. And I had a student say, ask me the same question. You know, what if he came forward and said, while I don't remember it exactly the way Dr. Ford describes it, yes, I engaged in inappropriate behavior with women when I was drunk and I regret it and I've spent my life, like you said, trying to make it better. He refers to his faith a lot in his opening statement. So maybe he could go there, which obviously speaks to a particular voter. He could apologize publicly. Um, we wouldn't have a hearing. Yes, the Democrats would still say he should be ineligible to be Supreme Court justice because he's a sort of confessed sexual assaulter. Um, but the Republicans, Republicans love a redemption story. Mm-hmm. They love a redemption story. Americans love it. Americans love yeah. it. I, I, I think we would. We were probably going to end up in the same spot, which is a confirmed Kavanaugh. But it would have. We would have cut out this whole middle part. Nick, what do you think? You're shaking your head no. No. You don't think so? Yeah. (laughs) So if he he would have said, I'm sorry, I made mistakes as a a young person, it was a bad, you know. No. I I mean, what what is the upside of doing that? Not having a hearing now. Yeah, but then the Republicans have a nominee who's, like you said, quote unquote, confessed to these potential crimes. So then he's labeled a sex offender by the left. And, he already is. Uh, all right. Well, I, I mean, it mm. <laughs> labeled. Yes. <laughs> I, I, but th- then we're in the same place. It's some people who, again, like you said, want a redemption story, and some people who don't give a shit because of what he said. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Like it's. Yeah, you're right. We would have cut out the middle part, but I we. Yeah, I guess we would have been back where we. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See I, what? Yeah, we're back yeah. where we started. Mm-hmm. I think we'd be in a different place. I, I like I is looking looking at you know conservatives that I follow on Twitter and listening to them. Talk, there are a lot of them that are wanting to or are making arguments about man. He's seventeen and and he's you know he was seventeen. He's fifty three now. I would hate to be judged on the stupid stuff I did when I was seventeen. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think you can make that argument about redemption or about second chances or people how you have to allow people a chance to learn from their mistake. You can make that argument. I'm not saying that that would win over. I think there there's a legitimate argument that you know when you rape somebody you don't get to like just forget it and move on. Um, but <laughs> I think the there are not. there is a subset of America that would that would like that or or want to make that argument. But when Brett Kavanaugh is saying no, that never happened. She's lying. You can't you can't take that approach. And as more and more evidence comes out that this you know that he has a pretty shady past. Um, I don't know. I think that if he had a, taken that sort of remorseful approach from the beginning, I'm not saying that he should be confirmed, but I think there are a lot of conservatives that he would be less toxic to a, a number of conservatives in in in, in the current it's, moment. It's, yeah. it's interesting because there's two tests there, right? One is the initial behavior, but then the second test is how do you respond to that behavior? Right. And if you acknowledge mistakes, if you acknowledge indiscretions, I mean, I'm, I, you, as you were talking, I was thinking of Bill Clinton. And, you know, the revival that Bill Clinton had afterwards after he finally ultimately took him forever, but said, I'm sorry, I made mistakes. Yeah, and moved on. Now, I I do wonder whether the the tight time frame here and the nature of our politics today today would have allowed that. But it might have been a better strategy because this this could be bad news. I think, but I think that the... Well, we focus on politics as we should because this is a political podcast and we're political scientists. What I'd like to add to this conversation quickly is just the culture of you know rape culture and victim blaming right so we add all of this on top of it where let's say he does apologize and all of this right then then the language turns on like the the remorseful redeemed right faithful Mm -hmm. 
sex criminal and like the woman who should just get over herself and forget him Mm -hmm. right Right. forget about it because already it's all about even just look at the language of the headlines right his name is in every headline in the headlines it's the accuser the woman his Mm -hmm. name is mentioned her name is not the type of language that's used they're talking now about will she wilt under the pressure can she Mm -hmm. like you said you know if she's powerful when she comes in that's not gendered language i'm not suggesting it is but a lot of what it is is like He's going to come out there and he's going to do what he does and she's going to wilt under the pressure. And so this is why women don't report it. This is why they don't come forward. And so even if we take the – it's hard to say what would happen if he apologized because this is not just like a regular old crime that we talk about. We add rape culture and victim blaming and all the things that come with sexual assault and it just compounds the complexity of this. Well, Go, I was just going to say, it makes me think of what you were saying earlier, Nick, about the politics of all of this. And I think that's absolutely right. Both sides are seizing on the political dynamics here to their advantage. But there's also another narrative where these are real people yes. Correct. having real life. Yes. And so both can coexist. You can have... No, only one. <laughs> Apparently. So, I mean, so, so Kavanaugh and, and uh, Christine Blasey Ford are real people that maybe potentially had a real interaction. And then it gets captured in this broader political dynamic. Yes. Um, and it's hard to separate the two. And as much as I want to yeah, blame the Democrats and Republicans for playing games here, it is important that we get to the bottom or as close as we can to yeah. the truth of that nature of that personal interaction that yes. happened. Yes. Uh, Phil, you wanted to say something. No, I changed my mind. Okay. Because Bill said it so <laughs> what, well. So, yeah. yeah. What is the what is the um, the sort of range of potential outcomes of tomorrow? So like if you're the Republicans mm. or you're the Democrats, what's the best case, sort of worst case? Scenario. This could be a predict have... it. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Ooh. Well, so, I mean, there's the, the most obvious one, which is she comes out and she gives her testimony and the way that she presents, it seems like there's gaps in her memory. It seems like she's not too sure of her answers. Um, and so then he comes out and, you know, kind of steamrolls his way through and it's like, oh, yep, see, she has no idea what she's talking about. The flip of that could happen and he could stumble and she could do excessively well. So we see that. What I What I'm interested to see is if the Senate Republicans can keep their mouth shut during the questioning. So they, I I don't know if there are rules that they're allowed to say stuff, but the best thing for them to do is to say nothing. For Grassley to not gavel and interrupt people, just let it go. And if he doesn't, or if any of them are going to try to interject, it it could be a lot worse. So those are my three, I don't know, three things I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Is there a a scenario in which something that she says tomorrow changes the outcome in the other direction. So I I think Mm -hmm. about like, so I could imagine her coming in and giving testimony that's not convincing or like you were saying. Um, But if she comes in and gives, you know, just damn solid. Dates, times, names, people. Yeah. yeah. Like she is incredibly convincing. Republicans have already, I mean, they've set a vote date, right? They've talked about how they don't, you know, it doesn't matter. They're going to cram it through either way. Ram it through either way. McConnell has said that. Mm -hmm. Orrin Hatch had said he doesn't believe her. And they asked her why, what, him why. And he said, because I don't. Mm -hmm. So, like, it doesn't seem like there is any convincing to be done. So, is it just that her audience, obviously, I mean, maybe this is obvious and I'm just now thinking about it. Her her audience is not the Senate Judiciary Committee, it's the public. Of course. She's trying to persuade public opinion sway public opinion i I mean if they're already scared that they could potentially lose the house come the midterms what is the political benefit to them not confirming him at this point regardless of what you think the next election that they have to worry about after this is two years from now and it 
I'm not sure this will be front of mind for many people in well, two years' time. I, I, if I could just add, because I never talk about state politics, but I will, that state legislative elections are really important coming into redistricting. Mm -hmm. So it could it could matter. We say all politics is local, but we know that it's not, and the national trickles all the way down. Sure. So there could be interesting consequences for redistricting once the state legislator, legislature compositions become clearer. Um, that's the only thing I can think of to mm -hmm. answer to answer your question because you're not wrong. Mm -hmm. I do wonder whether like how does this play out on the midterm? So if they if they can soil him now and he they do put him on the court, it becomes the central issue for the midterm election. And he, maybe the Senate wasn't an option, but then it becomes a bigger wave. Yeah, you just you just wonder whether there might be an unintended consequence to forcing him through. Well, yeah, I mean it'll be very obvious to see how divided we actually are if yeah. this goes through. And there's whatever the outcome of the midterms is, it will be extraordinarily obvious. Oh. Um, what the tipping what point. What the right what, choice yeah. was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a very, it's a very dangerous calculus that they're making. Yeah. But I, I from a, a purely realist, pragmatic, political standpoint, I, I can easily see them nominating, or not nominating, but uh, confirming him in the very near future. Well, the, the likelihood that he gets voted out of the committee is, like, I would say 100%. The question is what happens when his nomination gets to the Senate floor. I, I think it's I think there's four senators that matter, right? So it's Collins, Murkowski, Corker, mm -hmm. and Flake. And all you need is two Manchin. of those. What's Man that? Mansion is interesting, okay. too. Okay, so you get two of those. Yeah. yeah. This is, we're done. We're, we're uh, next time we we're chat, we're talking about a new nominee. Unless no. there's a tie. That's and true. Here comes then it goes Mike to Pence, Pence right. and we know how that's going to go. But that's only one, right? So if two flip, then they're yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But to assume that Collins and Murkowski vote in a pair, we should not right. do that. That's right. We should talk about beer. Phil, does, does Pence get to does Pence get to break a tie vote on yep. a, on a yes. confirmation? Yeah, I thought it was only on legislation. It's any tie from. I, I should check my Senate no, procedure. No, I think, it I think is. it's mm -hmm. any tie. Yeah, because they were saying that Republicans can lose one, but they can't lose two. One would get them to Pence, two they're sunk. So I think that's right. Yeah. All right, we should we should move on and talk about some beer. How yes, long? please. Phil. My watch stopped. How long did that go? <laughs> Thirty-five minutes. Yeah, good, good, good conversation. Phil, what are you drinking? I had a Lost River Ale from the Woodstock Inn Brewery in North Woodstock, New Hampshire. Uh, it was nice. It was uh, it's it's light. It's an ale. It's not a. It's not like an IPA. Um, it's like a light ale, but it has the hoppiness to it. A little bit of hoppiness. Um, refreshing. It falls in the category of you know uh, mowing the grass beers. Um, your favorite. I don't know. It doesn't like do what? Your favorite. I know. I but know. this wasn't your favorite. Uh, it's not the one that I would, if I were like, if I just finished mowing the grass and I had a choice of any beer, I don't know if this is the one I'd go for. Yeah. What would you go it's, for? It's, What's your favorite post mowing the I grass don't. beer? I'm a beer and a half in. You can't ask me these questions. <laughs> <laughs> Something with grapefruit in it. <laughs> All right, Suzanne, what are you enjoying? Uh, well, as every time I'm on, and usually it's it's a, a, a last-minute request, <laughs> just saying. Because we need the lady. Because you need the lady. Um, Bill takes care of me every time and brings me beer. So this is a new Glarus. I like almost anything new Glarus. I'll try anything. This is a Cranbic. So when Bill proposed it to me, he said, it's real tart. And I was like, mm. oh, I'll take it. It is, I think it's a cranberry-raspberry mix. It's very tart. It looks like a rosé. Mm-hmm. So I automatically like the way it looks. It's really good. Good. It is very tart. Yeah. Um, and so you have to like tart, but it's really refreshing, and it kind of bites after and stays with you. Mm. I, I'm very much enjoying it. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Nick, Nick, what are we drinking? We are having a Lagertown Oktoberfest from Half Acre. And realistically, I don't even care about the beer. The can. The can is awesome. Yeah. It looks yes. like a medieval. It's like a Grateful Dead concert. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. There's knights and a warthog and... 
something. Anyways, um, I, yeah, I'm. Uh, it's that time of year. I'm not ready for it yet, but um, I generally like Oktoberfest. Uh, this was a pretty good one, I'd yeah. say. It's not overly malty or too heavy. It's got a nice light color to it. It's pretty carbonated, um, which I think is lacking from a lot of Oktoberfests. Yeah. Um, I, I liked it, personally. Everything Half Acre might be my favorite brewery right now they because they do a good. lot of really good things. And this is not, it's not a conventional Oktoberfest, but it's really good. You're mm. right. It's a little lighter, a little less malty than some, but uh, very tasty. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. This is a good one. Yeah, definitely. Well done, Half Acre. Um, if you guys want to find the beers that we try on the podcast, download the Untapped app on iOS and Android. Uh, we are Barstool Politics on there, so you can check out our reviews and, like I said, all the beers that we try. Speed round. Woo. I miss the speed round. When All I'm right. So on Tuesday, President Trump gave an address at the opening of the United Nations. In his opening comments, Trump declared that he had made more progress than almost any other administration in the history of our country. Go, girl. This prompted audible laughs in the U.N. chamber. Oh, don't go. Uh, <laughs> a startled-looking Trump appeared thrown off balance for a moment. Then Trump proceeded to give a speech that emphasized American independence and sovereignty against what Trump described as, quote, global governance, control, and domination. Trump stated, quote, we reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. That's something. It doesn't make any sense, but it's something. Um, it was tough talk on issues like foreign aid, where Trump said, quote, we're only going to give foreign aid to those who respect us and, frankly, are our friends. When it came to refugees, Trump said that migra- migrants should stay close to their own country so they could, quote, make your nations great again. Oh, man. I think I threw up in my mouth when I Yeah. So, Phil, this was an odd speech that had views of National Security Advisor John Bolton written all over it. What was your reaction and what should we make of all this? Um, so, I mean, I, a couple of general statements. I, it was a weird speech to watch. Yeah. Um, it was so different from like last year. Last year was the fire and fury speech, right? Yes. In which yeah. he was like going off on North Korea. It was it was just very. He looks like he was on Nyquil. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Muscle relaxer. Yes. It didn't look like he really cared, right? It was it was a weird it was a weird speech. Um, the stuff he said is is troubling, right? I mean, this is this this is an example of it felt like he was giving a speech to his it was like one of his rally speeches yeah. right i mean that statement at the beginning was even that it, and it, it's an example of how you have to know your audience you right? and diplomats <laughs> right uh, to get up there and just to to like you know go off on globalism and the un and all of these things at the un general assembly it, it just it's just it's tone deaf yeah. right i don't it it reminded me of other bizarre speeches in which le- world leaders get up and rant about the international community in some way um yeah i mean he he there's there and there was pushback so today right he was he was at the un security council and and people to his face right talking yes. about like attacking him for you know critiquing his views on sovereignty and pushing back and you know macron was pushing back yesterday i guess I mean, I, it. I don't. I don't know what to add to it other than it, it. I mean, it's concerning, right? That the American president gets up at this international forum and basically gives his middle finger to the to the world. 
especially given how much he's talked about how we're respected again. Trump has said that we're respected in the world again, yet at the United Nations, where, Phil, you and I have spent a fair amount of time at the United Nations. It's not fun. Nobody laughs. It's, it's all boring, place. right? It really, and Nick, you, but yeah, you've been in this space too. It's, it's really bad. It, you, you, it's it, falling you apart do, too. Right, it's like literally, carpet literally is terrible. Apart. Yeah, oh, that's a shame. so nobody laughs, but yet diplomats felt the felt it was okay to laugh at him. That that had to burn him. And it wasn't—it wasn't good for the United States. <laughs> I realize yeah. this. I already talked, but I want to say one more thing. We're doing this uh, one for ten for minutes, anyway. It doesn't matter. For, for somebody who is is supposedly a great deal maker, right? This is an example of we've we've talked about this before as well. If you have the views that Trump is is laying out, and you want to withdraw from the international community and focus on sovereignty and tell the ICC to go screw itself and keep refugees close to home. Even if you want all of that, there's a, a way to go about pursuing those things and, and doing this sort of speech in which you basically tell the international community to, you know, go screw themselves is not productive. It doesn't get you closer to that. So for somebody who's supposedly such a great deal maker, it just reveals you know, an obliviousness to the to the 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 need to actually foster these relationships to get these sorts of you know, if you want refugees to stay closer to home, then you need to foster relationships in the Middle East and in other places where you can you can do that. And by going out and telling everyone that they're stupid and America is better than them, you you just I don't know. It just seems totally counterproductive. Well, the, so I'm sorry, Bill, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, Nick, for the refugee issue, it was one that you were interested in talking about. The, the whole argument that that refugees should stay close to home. Right, right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so safe and warm right. for them there. Well, yeah. right. That's the thing. <laughs> so you can make their own countries right. great again. Which realistically, all the power they have. And, yeah. I, and Phil, like, I 100% agree with you on this. Like, all these things, if you were a skilled politician and or deal maker, you would know how to put the proper spin on this thing. Especially with the refugee thing, this is about investment in your your domestic economies. The U.S. is going to support you. You know, we're going to make it so you feel safe and comfortable, and you have a better standard of living, and you can make your country prosper. Like it doesn't it doesn't have to be about keeping refugees or you know poor brown people out. You can <laughs> you can make it work. Right. Use the right fucking language <laughs> right. a couple right. times. That's all I want. Two times. Didn't he? But didn't he? say it was it in this speech because they all run together where he was like and we support iran and their quest for freedom and we'll support you if you uprise he was, rise up or whatever he was pretty did i make that up no i think you were right but it was he was pretty focused on the iranian regime during his speeches this mm -hmm. time as opposed to the iranian people mm -hmm. which you know Passing good on you but uh, he did say that he would meet with the president rohani he's right. like he's you know man. iran is is a is you know troublemaker throughout the region i'd be happy to meet with the president right. though <laughs> you know like it's just I, like I, but uh, what where he's not wrong is that you uh, uh, mm, i'm stopping because it's just not um when you talk about Europe and, and uh, France and Macron and, and how they responded to his speech, rightfully so, they were pissed. And But then they go into this whole diatribe about aligning, not necessarily aligning, but, you know, not interfering with the economic stability of Iran and then kind of listing these countries that were... Um, they were creating their own economic stability that didn't include the U.S. and Russia was listed in there at one point. And... That's a point where you go, I, you know, we make mistakes, but it's, 
you know, we have a shared culture and a shared history and the fact that you would align people that are not only interfering with our electoral and political process, but your own as well. And what they've done over the past few years with, you know, Ukraine and Syria, I, the fact that you would even say that is is horrendous. It's I it's it's I I don't like Europe in the at the moment. I just, I just don't. <laughs> as a um, continent, as a continent in general, it's just it's kind of there. It's old. I don't really know. Um, cheese is good. Cheese is okay. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Um, just give me a good slice of plastic craft cheese, and we're good to go. America. Yeah, but I, I just I, the fact that it's it's gotten to that point where Russia is now a potentially better partner for Europe. Hello. Are we back? back. Oh, We're back. Yeah, sorry. Blip, blip, blip. That was weird. Trump is here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're trying to cut us off. The black van's outside. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a very sad state of affairs that that is a better option than working with the U.S. at at, at this juncture. And I don't necessarily think that it's something that they should be evincing at the U.N. Security Council. You know, what struck me about Trump's speeches, and I think you can criticize the delivery and some of the more minor things that he screwed up, and I think we absolutely should. But at a macro level, this was an argument for the retrenchment of America from the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, whether we're talking about refugees, foreign aid. I mean, we're not giving enough time to this conversation. Not us, but I mean, like the conversation about cutting foreign aid. Yes. Jim Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, has said, if you don't have foreign aid, I got to go to war more often. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, institutions like John Bolton loves attacking the ICC, but there is real value for global institutions like the United Nations, the ICC, diplomacy. All of this is is Trump signaling to the world that we no longer want to be the world's leader and that somebody mm -hmm. else should step up. We're indifferent to what happens, and there are real costs and and implications for that. And, and so, and I think some in some ways we're missing that bigger message. And we we've talked about this in uh, several months ago. We talked about this, but these sorts of things are not things that are easily undone either. So even if Trump goes away, even if Trump is you know serves two more years, and then some, if he's voted out of office next time, you could elect somebody who's super pro international. The U.S. is going to be a leader again. The damage from the the knowledge that America will quick so quickly turn on the international community, elect somebody like Trump or whatever, I, I think that there's a long-term cost to pay in terms of American leadership internationally because America can't be trusted in the same way. I, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, depending on who, yeah, whatever happens moving forward. Mm -hmm. Can the Americanist say something quickly? Yeah, please. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize at all. I, I, that, We're already I, done with talking about women. Why do you Come need on. me why anymore? Are you still here? Come on. <laughs> so true. Marginalization <laughs> continues. Um, all I was going to say is that what i wondering, and I pose it more as a question, I suppose, is whether the speech was really meant for the international community or meant for us. Mm -hmm. So right. I maybe he doesn't realize that when he gives a speech to the U.N., it's not a campaign speech, that it does have long term and real deep consequences for the way that we are viewed in the actual community. And what can't, as Phil was saying, that how hard it is to undo all that. But that's a message that resonates really well with his voters and with the base and with the party. And so wouldn't have expected him to say anything different. Sure. So I don't I, I just wonder if he. To go back to Phil's point about him being tone deaf, I think it was Phil that said he was tone deaf. Yeah, um, and to whether, know, know your audience. Yeah, yeah, that he he's not delivering this for the national community; he's delivering this for Americans. I, right. Yeah. I maybe I don't give him enough credit, but I, I <laughs> I'm 
I've, I think you're almost giving him too much credit in that I think that he, um, I don't even know that it's like a lot. I don't think that he went in thinking, hey, I'm going to give this speech and it might piss off these people, but it's going to win over my base. I think he just gives the same speech every mm-hmm. time, right? He's he's trained to think, hey, I give these speeches at, at rallies. People eat it up. They love it. I'm going to go in and do the same thing. And I think he even, you know, even when they laughed at him, his response was, well, that wasn't the reaction I was expecting. He thought the international community was going to, just like at all his rallies, Lap eat up. up when he says that they were the best, they had the best two years ever. Which is just factually inaccurate. We should probably move on. Are We're you, having some yeah, technical Nick, difficulties. Are you, yeah, are you deaf now? <laughs> no. Have I taken no, There's crackling, and I can hear out of my right ear now. It's very weird. I've never been able to hear out of my right ear. <laughs> Phil is just like Every, pretending, you know, he's just moving along, and all of us were like, what's going on in our I ears? Can't hear Everything on my end sounds perfectly normal. Okay, uh, sorry. We're just losing it here. All right. All right. So we should jump over the next topic, Dick. Sure. All right. So I'll stop that. <laughs> Rosenstein. Uh, so Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, had a stressful day on Monday. He headed to the White House on Monday morning under the impression that President Trump was about to fire him. Yet by the afternoon, Rosenstein was back at his office, still employed and still in charge of the Russia investigation. The two are scheduled to meet on Thursday to further discuss their often contentious relationship. And today, during Trump's press conference, he said they would have... A good talk. Good talk. Good talk. Good talk, Russ, right? (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's entirely possible that Trump will either fire Rosenstein or he will resign. Resign. Monday's, uh, so it grew out of a New York Times story suggesting that Rosenstein had considered secretly taping the president and had discussed using the 25th Amendment to remove him from office. This is a fascinating story, uh, a case of palace intrigue that will have major implications for the future of the Mueller investigation. Phil. You've been fired many times. What should we resigned. make of Resigned. The- I've resigned, <laughs> resigned many times. Right. Uh, so should- air quotes around Right. That. What should we make of this, and, and, and should we, we, we be worried about how this might play out for the Mueller investigation? Uh, so, yeah, I, I see lots of angles to this story. First of all, it's incredibly confusing. Yes. Right? I, the, apparently, they had met prior to this whole falling out. They had met over the weekend, and... Rosenstein wanted to resign, but they couldn't come up with the appropriate conditions, couldn't agree on it. And then he left. He's called back in. So there was a leak from, I guess, the White House saying that he was quitting, a leak from the Department of Justice saying that he was being fired. None of that turned out to be true. There's reports that he's deeply emotional about all of this and that he doesn't want Trump to attack him and he doesn't want to have to testify. None of it. I I don't understand what the hell is happening. (laughs) Part of that, I think, is um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to jump into attacking the press, but it seems like there was some I don't know, some maybe missteps in the reporting of the story, some premature publishing of stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said all of that, if if he is fired, that should be an enormous red flag. Right. I mean, that is, you know, we talk about it's it's a, a very slow version of the fallout that happened after Watergate, right? Where you fire James Comey and then, you know, you fire the next person who's in charge of the investigation and you just kind of work your way down to, and if, if he, that one of the interesting um, questions is if Rosenstein resigns, then Trump can appoint a replacement in the, in the interim. Um, whereas if he's fired, that may not necessarily be the case, which is why there, I think there's a bit of a standoff. Yes. Uh, here, because if Trump can just if if Rosenstein resigns and Trump just can appoint whoever he wants into that position, he can end the Mueller investigation immediately. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's hugely I mean, it's significant for the Mueller investigation because it could allow Trump to end it. I I kind of wonder if it's so far down the tracks at this point that even if you ended the Mueller investigation, there are a number of other investigations that have been handed off to other um, you know, jurisdictions where it, it would continue. But yeah, I mean, it, it, this is this is obstruction of justice happening in front of our face, right? And blatant. Go ahead, Suzanne. I just, no, I yeah. just so yes, period. But the whole <laughs> <laughs> the thing I've been thinking about a lot as this happened is, and maybe this is the culture we're in is, who is the source to the New York Times that said all this was happening? And wouldn't it be in the best interest of the White House for them to have planted this story? That's what I thought. Right? right. So yeah, that they sure. could fire him with cause. It doesn't look like obstruction of justice. So sneaky. Well, right. <laughs> and then they put in whomever they choose and either end the investigation or they put in a, someone who's friendly mm-hmm. to not officially end it, but like, quote, end it. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the I've turned into a conspiracy theorist somehow because of where we are or if that's maybe just what happened. Nick, you were you were agreeing? Yeah, I, I I mean I, what makes me think that is that it seemed so obvious mm-hmm. right. that it, it seemed like it would come out of this particular administration. So I could easily see that being the case. Mm-hmm. The other side of this is I equally think that the press just doesn't know how to hold their shit together and isn't really vetting their sources um, at all. So I I. I, I the, the two are equally as likely right now. The New York Times is stuck behind their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when Rosenstein came out and said, this is not true, they said, we've talked to people close to him. So that that, that is important. I will say, for me, I think, I, I, like Phil, I'm thinking about Watergate and how that all played out. And there was no guarantee in Watergate that things would work out against Nixon. If, thing, if a couple other decisions had gone a different way, Nixon might have survived this. So... I think getting rid of Rosenstein creates that opportunity that the truth will never come out, whether that truth truth is good or bad for Trump. So I, if I'm Rosenstein, I am hoping he does everything he can to ensure that he stays around or if he's fired, that this goes to somebody who can take control of the investigation. It does go. It goes to the solicitor general if he's fired, Phil. I think that's the possibly possibly. Yeah. Well, so there's there's the chance that he, I guess, the solicitor general has some sort of working relationship with the law firm that was involved in. Oh, anyway, there might yes. be a conflict That's of interest. Oh. Yes, so then I think it goes to the postmaster general. <laughs> I think it's me. That's, right. That's what that line of succession looks so like. So then my mailman takes over. I'm yeah. not confident in that at all. <laughs> Never gets to me on time. Mm. I, Sorry, Phil. We interrupt. <laughs> Sorry, you're brilliant. I out there. that one. Yeah. <laughs> Now, this is it's it's a huge deal. It's a big deal. My if I'm Trump, I do all of this tomorrow. I think he said something about in his press conference today that, well, maybe I'll delay the conversation. No, the world is obsessed with the Kavanaugh hearings tomorrow. You fire Rosenstein because, right, there's too many big stories going on and we'll move on. I, I, I hope it's not the case. I really think that it moves us closer to a constitutional crisis if Rosenstein, who I will say. I'm not even convinced he's up to the role, right? I mean, he, I think he is wilting under some of this pressure. It's getting very emotional. Yes, about it. which, right. Which, I mean, again, he's in a tough Apparently. position, <laughs> but everybody looks to him as a hero, and he may not be a hero. Yeah. He may just be a guy. He may just be a bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. Yes. All the attacking of him, like, I feel like we have to remind people 
that he is a Trump appointee, right? Trump right. appointed him, right? Yes. This is not some career Democrat that was in this, in this, anyway. I, the other thing, I know that the, the bell has rung, but the, the other part of all of this is we continue to have this debate about whether Trump is obstructing justice. And we have, you know, about what the, there's a debate. The, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> apparently it is. If you listen to the news media, um, Boy, I sounded like that was a, a listen to the news me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the 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 whole Ro, the Rosenstein story about how he was, you know, maybe sarcastically, maybe not sarcastically suggesting, uh, you know, wiring himself to record the president. Um, somebody pointed out that the context of that was the week that, when he first started was the week that Comey was fired. And I had forgotten how crazy that week was because that was the week Comey was fired. And then the Russians were in the Oval Office and oh, Trump was God. saying, I fired Comey. And that cut takes a lot of pressure off of me, like just blatantly out in the open talking about how he was revealing he fired secret Comey. sources. Yes, that, God, that was the same week. He said to the Russians, I <laughs> the fired Nazis Comey to end law. the Russia investigation. Oh, all right, let's Good bring times. it back to Texas because everything is better in <laughs> Texas, right, Phil? All bigger in Texas. All right, so All uh, Beto, how do I say it, Phil? What's his name again? Beto. Beto. O'Rourke? No. <laughs> yes, O'Rourke. That's right. <laughs> so he's closing in on Ted Cruz, aka the Zodiac Killer, in the Texas Senate race. That's true. Over the last few months, Beto has been rising in the polls and piling up campaign cash. Uh, he's routinely out fundraised crews and has visited all 254 counties of the Lone Star State. Phil, have you visited all 254 counties of Texas? Damn straight I have. Have you really? I'm impressed. Yeah. So the race is getting a good deal of national attention and maybe a barometer for who ultimately controls the Senate. Yet this uh, this is Texas and not California, and Democrats just don't win in Texas. Luckily, we have an expert on elections in Dr. Suzanne Chad and a Texan in Dr. Phil Barker. Suzanne, why don't we start with you? So what do you how do you think how are things going to work out bueno for Beto? I was really hoping you were going to do that. Or muy mal for yes. Rafael Cruz. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I talk about elections and forecasting, I only talk about political scientists because mm -hmm. they, we're the only ones that know what's going on. So when you go and look at the crystal ball for Center for Politics, this and they a lot of follows what, Cook, what the Cook Report does, Parson Report. This race has now gone from likely to lean, likely Republican to lean. Just the fact that that's like a thing happening in Texas is pretty remarkable on its own. Um, so depending on the polls, most of the polls have them pretty close within the margin of error. One poll had Beto up within the margin of error by two. Most of them, like the real, real clear average, I think is about three and a half or four and a half. So the fact that it's that close, again, I think says something. But, you know, Trump won Texas by a ton, obviously. Um, but his approval rating right now is 47 approved, 53 disapproved. So in Texas, again, that's I would say that that's sort of a big deal. So what I would say when I'm looking at this race is the we, in only one way does it mirror the Alabama special election, which is when a mobilized group of underrepresented voters get to the polls, it can change the outcome and you can end up having, you know, a Democratic senator from a deep red state. So this, you know, we already talked about potential things with Kavanaugh, the Kavanaugh hearings and the confirmation with the midterms. If Latino voters show up and African-American voters show up, then we could have Senator O'Rourke. Wow. 
that's my take. Phil, are you are you optimistic? I'm getting a validation from yeah, the Texan. Yeah, the Texan is nodding. <laughs> I've become relatively optimistic, right? I, that does not mean that I think he's going to win, but I I think he has a real chance, yeah. and I and I think there's a there's a unique set of circumstances that does that. I think he Beto is really charismatic. Um, Ted Cruz is. He what he has going for him is he's a Republican. But he's not particularly well. He's not particularly well liked, right? Even even in Texas, he, he's not. I think people like him because he's Republican. But I don't know that you know. There are some people who love him, but I think there are a lot of people who are like, you know, they 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 would choose a different Republican senator for their senator. Um, so I mean that you know partisanship matters. So but but. I don't know that Ted Cruz inspires a lot of passion, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you combine that with the Donald Trump, I, 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 I speculate that I think there will be some surprises on election day just because, just like the, the election two years ago, I think turnout's going to be different in ways that are really kind of unpredictable. That's yeah. the mm-hmm. thing that matters is about who shows up to vote. And I know these models try to take that into account, likely voters and all of that, but you can't ever quite, you know, that's where the variability comes in. So Texas has, you know, it's a solidly Republican state, but it depends on who shows up. And I think Republicans, how motivated in Texas are they going to be to get out and vote for when Donald Trump's the president, not popular, and Ted Cruz is the guy you're supposed to be passionate about. And and I I don't, I I don't know. I think all of that combined does not mean that Beto is going to win. But I think I I would not be shocked if we woke up the day after election and and there were and he and he had won that race. It, it makes me as you were talking it made me think about voter registration laws in Texas and voter ID laws yes. in Texas because when you think about turnout those matter a lot. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing Texas is just in the country. It, it really is in okay. So that makes it that makes it more difficult to yeah. get high levels of turnout, especially of the voters that would need to swing towards uh, a Democrat. That's right. And you look at you know, who turns out to the midterms anyway. It's white, older, well-educated ideologues. So that's why Republicans almost always have a turnout advantage, regardless of whether we're talking about the Democrats controlling the White House or not. And so some trends tell us that Democrats should do better because it's a midterm year and there's a party. the Republicans are in the White House. Others tell us Republicans should do better because they have a midterm turnout advantage based on the profile of people who turn out. But... Phil's saying is right is that there's so much that we can't account for particularly in this midterm in Mm -hmm. this race in this time and I I don't sorry no go ahead no please I don't want to be I don't want to be naive about it but I I also feel like if you look at some of the other you know off-year elections some of these special elections that have occurred Mm -hmm. um, again those are special elections are the ones where you would expect you know older white you know sort of Republican voters to show up and and they have Mm -hmm. but the the you know the the Democratic voters have also shown up yeah. in sort of unprecedented numbers for those sorts of elections, right. and so I, there's so much press about again Trump is such a polarizing figure, and I think there's so much press about the importance of the elections and all of that. I I don't know I I it'll I think it all comes down to turnout, and I don't feel confident in saying that yeah Democrats are going to show up and Republicans aren't, but but I, I do think there's it's up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Mm. I taught you all about the midterms in our capstone. <laughs> yeah, so I remember. Relay to me what you learned. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, so this is the thing. So I try and, and take some of those points to heart. Uh, as time has gone on, and especially 
time during this administration and our inability to predict what the future outcome is for a lot of these things. My faith in polling and historical data and, and um, I, I don't know, similar data points has really, I, I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced that we can trust them as much as we used to anymore, which is, I, I don't know if I'm more, if I'm happier about that or less happy, but there seems to be some sort of shift where, like we've talked about, there are enough variables and unknowns in these races, whether we're talking about individual candidate character points, uh, you know, uh, accusations from the outside of mm, a more hardened base and unwillingness to kind of see the other side for what they uh, stand for as opposed to who they are. It's it's a very it's a very trying time <laughs> to say the least. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not 100% convinced that we're going to get away from the kind of uh, uh, standard geographical um, political leanings quite yet. And I think there's enough groundswell on either side to make a difference. I'm not sure if this would be the race to see that in. I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, Phil, I visited you in Texas a couple of times. Texas is Republican, right? And, and, and when you go back to Texas, it always startles me when you describe it. So that's part of the reason I think it's just for me, it would be bizarre world for a Democrat to win there. But it is, I don't know, we're in, we're in weird times. So it's a wave election. So I, I, it's hard to know for certain. But this one strikes me as if if a Democrat wins in Texas, everything is up. You know, who knows? The Senate could flip. No. It won't. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, It is. we've talked about Texas for a number of years saying with demographic shifts that mm-hmm. it could be a state in play for the Electoral College. Yeah. But it all depends on turnout. Yep. The structural factors that affect, if, as you said, whether certain voters can turn out and whether they will. If you had if you had universal voter registration and universal turnout in Texas, it would be a blue state. Every, right. That's just yes. but but those those that's not what is actually yeah. the case. I will right? say so. from a, uh, a media standpoint, I have seen more efforts to mobilize voters on Google and Facebook and social media than I have ever seen in yes. any election yes. ever. So okay. if you don't think there's a vast liberal conspiracy out there, you should really <laughs> look at social media. <laughs> All right. The fact that you think that getting people out to vote is a liberal conspiracy. <laughs> I taught you nothing. <laughs> Debate me, Phil. Oh. All right. We're going long. But we... <laughs> All right, so let's let's uh, speaking of the midterms, we'll wrap up with this. Uh, uh, Democrats are quietly feeling pretty excited about the upcoming elections. Most indicators, including some of our pals over at Predicted, have the House swinging back to, into the hands of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Some are even speculating that the prospects of taking the Senate is is still within uh, the possibility. Suzanne, what is your sense of the chances of the Senate flipping? I think you've already suggested that's a long shot. Uh, and a follow up: Are there any other elections that you would suggest our listeners keep track of as as we move? closer to november oh you're speaking my language all right right, so uh well regardless of whether nick thinks that forecast models work Mm -hmm. um you look at the main forecasting models of political science there's a handful of them and all of them are saying that the house is going to flip and they're based on any number of indicators from partisanship to presidential approval to economic indicators um previous electoral returns so right now the generic ballot has a democrat's 49 to 41 
So one of the models says that they have to be five points up to get the 24 seats they need. So that looks pretty good. Most of the other forecasts have the Democrats taking anywhere between 34 to 44 seats, depending on the different indicators. So I feel confident based on that that we should expect the House to flip, which is not unlike what we're hearing kind of all over the place. Um, The Senate is much more unlikely. There's about four toss-up seats where Democrats are holding and it could potentially go to Republicans. So the Republicans are probably going to pick up a seat or two in the Senate, but it would not surprise me. I've learned not to bet, although I should try to predict it, but I have to be careful. Um, it would not surprise me if we end up with divided government with a house that's blue after so, the sixth. You, you said Republicans are likely to pick up a seat or two? Yeah. Okay. So if you look at Florida, Indiana, Missouri, and North Dakota, those are four toss-ups where you've got pretty unpopular Democratic incumbents in states that Trump won. So, Which is what makes the Kavanaugh vote so much more interesting if it gets to the floor to see how these particular members vote. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on it yeah. overall. If you want some races to watch... Yes. The Illinois 6th, which happens to be the district where we are literally sitting. What? Yeah. yeah. There's a whole flip the 6th initiative. So Pete Roscom is the current representative. He's a Republican. Um, the demographics of Naperville, which is most of the district, so I'm sure our listeners know, but if you don't, we're a western suburb of Chicago, about 30 miles west. Um, what we've seen in special elections and across the state so far in states, across the state so far, is that suburbs close to cities have been going blue in these special elections these state legislative elections and there's a huge initiative to flip the sixth so i think that the sixth is one to watch not just because we're literally sitting sure Hmm. and it happens to be the district in which i vote um the texas senate we talked about already the texas 23rd are you familiar with it with will hurd phil that name is familiar yeah so he's the first black republican ever elected from texas to the house and he represents the district in texas that the entire district borders mexico so he's Republican, he's anti-Trump, very vocally anti-Trump, hmm. um, and it has one of the lowest turnouts of any district in the country. Hmm. I think this race is fascinating to watch. Yeah. Because it's all about turnout. It's a person of color representing other people of color, but from a party that doesn't represent people of color, I think it's fascinating. And then the California 49th with Daryl Issa, he's retiring. Um, he's a anti-immigrant, super pro-Trump, represents Orange County. It's a very flippable district. Oh, the district. OC. It's a very flippable <laughs> district. Yeah. So those are my those are my four races to watch. And I mean, the Florida governor's race is super interesting, but I'm talking about Congress now. We'll bring Suzanne so, back in a couple weeks for a more detailed midterm preview. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I took what, so, most of that time. That was good, though. Yeah. Good. Suzanne, the, the predicted uh, market on the Democrats taking the Senate puts it at I, I think it's about a thirty percent chance yeah. the Democrats take that's the Senate. Generous. Do you where would you yeah, you think that's too high? I think it's like five. <laughs> really? I mean I say that now before tomorrow and maybe I'll change my tune at whether if Kavanaugh goes to a vote. Um I, I yeah. I mean I I believe in forecasting models and I believe in science. That's fine. You can so. be wrong. We can all be wrong sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would say it's probably closer to five or ten. But the house, how I think, of, is like ninety. How much of the the stuff that we were talking about in tech with the Texas Senate race, in terms of the the drag of Trump, you know, Republicans, mm-hmm. Trump was not necessary. I mean, it, early on, like sort of traditional Republican voters, he's not necessarily super popular. Um, you know, a lot of the controversy, the midterms. How much of that do you think plays out in terms of? you know, having a significant effect because yeah. in my mind, the only way Democrats take it is if the, these sort of weird 
shifts in turnout. Yeah. Like Republicans just aren't excited enough to show up and Democrats are more, more fired up than they've ever been. Yes. Um, I don't know. Is, are, is that how likely is that to actually happen? I mean, in the past that hasn't, I mean, I guess you're telling me you're saying a 5% chance. <laughs> yeah. I just, so the Senate and the house are so different because you're talking about a diverse state constituency versus these really homogeneously drawn small house districts where Will heard where Hillary Clinton won the district by three and a half points, but Trump won the state by nine points. That's a very different race than the than the O'Rourke Cruz Senate race. That was interesting. And that's my time. Yes, that's good. <laughs> do we want to do one more? Or do we want to cut it? We should probably. We're over time. I can Fine. save Sweden for next oh, time. We'll tease. We'll tease them. It's yes. terrible. Yes. I'll, I'll take Sweden. my responses and you can play. Yes, I hate it. Um, <laughs> Well, Trump told us to beware of socialism. Yes. They are Especially in Venezuela. Especially. <laughs> oh, my God. Venezuela. Um, yeah. Uh, typical. Is it going? It is going. Yeah. yeah look at that. Um, yeah. Like uh, like we always say, uh, if you guys like the podcast, have questions that you want to ask us, uh, beer suggestions, uh, anything else, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try you can find on untapped that uh you can download on ios and android uh we're just barstool politics in there so all of our reviews are on there uh the podcast soundcloud stitcher google play music most major podcasting platforms definitely itunes uh review us and um share us through there um we appreciate the support um and then predict it obviously we've been talking about it um throughout the podcast and it's a, a super great tool for what we do and uh you guys will, will definitely uh, like it if you check it out uh in case you didn't know uh predicted is a real money political prediction market so pretty much a stock market for politics uh where you can buy or sell shares in future political events barstool politics listeners uh get a special deal where uh you'll receive up to a 20 dollar match on your first deposit so if you open up a 20 dollar account uh they will match that 20 dollars uh, all you have to do is use the promo link, uh, predicted.org slash promo slash barstool paul twenty two zero, uh, and you'll get your free money, and it's super fun. So definitely check it out. Um, anything else? Thank you, Suzanne, yeah, for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you, you so to have much. You back. Yeah. You and I disagree on so many things, but I always enjoy having you. Here. Oh, well, I enjoy it too. That's why you. we do this thing. Yeah, because it's all it. it's fun and things. It's, it's all about learning. ideas. It's about ideas. Yes. <laughs> and making fun of you know liberal conspiracies and things. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> liberal conspiracies like voter registration. <laughs> like voter registration. <laughs> you heard me. <laughs> Change my mind. <laughs> all right. We will see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>